Hi, you're listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist Church. These resources are not designed to take the place of a local church, but we hope they will encourage you on your journey with Christ. For more information about how you can connect with the Second Family, visit mysecond.family. This sermon was delivered live at our West Conway campus. Thanks for listening. Back when Jackie and I were dating, it was a whole thing. We'd go out on dates, and, um, and, and I really overthink things anyways and super prepare for stuff. And, and so every single date her and I would go on, I would go and uh, wash my vehicle inside and outside. You got to make sure that thing is perfect. It smells good. It's all clean. I would even sit in the passenger seat just to make sure the perspective from over there is good, you know? Like everything's good, you know? I got to clean all that. I'd work out that morning to make sure I'm in peak physical appearance, you know? A lot of that has slipped since then, but you know, that's what I would do. And uh, I'd iron my jeans, I'd iron my shirt. I still do that, iron my, I iron my t-shirts. I ironed this shirt this morning. And so iron stuff, you know, I'd iron all that up, give me some smell good on, clean all this. She lived an hour and a half away from where I was living. And so I would drive early and sit in the Walmart parking lot to make sure that I picked her up on time. Everything had to be perfect. Everything had to be perfect. I was preparing to meet with somebody special. And since I was meeting with someone perfect, I needed to prepare in a very perfect way. In Amos chapter four, verse 12, God himself says, get ready to meet your God. That's what he says. Get ready to meet your, in fact, he says it this way. He says, prepare to meet your God. And that has a whole other meaning, right? A whole deeper impact to it. Who you expect to meet with will drastically influence the preparation, right? If you're expecting to meet with um, uh, a date, you're going to prepare a certain way. If you're expecting to meet with a potential boss, that requires a certain amount of preparation. If you're expecting to fist fight somebody, that requires different preparation, right? All of this makes you uh, prepare in a certain way. If I was going to tell you this, I'd say, everybody, you know, don't do this. But if I was going to stand up, you're going to walk through that door and you are going to meet your God. Who would you expect to be on the other side of that door? When you open that door, what kind of person would be on the other side of that door? Would you, like many people, expect to find a, a uh, intimidating rule enforcer? You know, like, a, like, a, like, a, like maybe a principal or a, or a police officer, that kind of thing. That sort of intimidating, you know, making sure that you're towing the line. Maybe you would expect to meet a stoic king. Somebody that creates burdens and puts them on you, but they're unable for you to carry. They don't have to carry them. Other people would expect to meet a distant father, someone who provides everything except for affection and encouragement. A lot of us have those sort of pictures. If we were to open that door, the sort of person our God is standing on the other side of the door, they they evoke all of that sort of imagery. Even those of us who know better, but over time through our experiences and and our life situations and circumstances, we have come to believe that God is like those things. Like, you know, just, just cold and distant and isolating. And that when he does show kindness to us, it's very rare that he really wants us to toe the line and keep the rules. If we were to cancel out our expectations, though, even the subconscious ones, if we were to cancel out our expectations, what would the Bible say? When we open that door, how does the Bible describe what the person would be like on the other side of that door. Amos gives us a peek into that in, in chapter 4, verse 13. Just one verse this morning. That's all we're going to read. This is what Amos says. He is here, the one who forms the mountains, creates the wind, and reveals his thoughts to man. 
the one who makes the dawn out of darkness and strides on the heights of the earth. The Lord, the God of armies, is his name. This is the way that Amos would describe the person that you should expect to meet. Let's pray together and then we're going to look at these words here. We're going to unpack this verse here just a little bit and see if our expectations line up with reality. God, thank you so much for how you have blessed us, how you have introduced yourself to us. God, I pray that today we would break down all of those unreasonable expectations, those, those uh, assumptions we place on you through our experiences with fallen people. God, I pray that our eyes would see you as you truly are this morning, that we would grow closer to you because we, you are approachable, you are kind, you are loving, you are generous, and you invite us to return to you. God, I pray that we would. It's in Jesus' name we pray together. Amen. So who is the person on the other side of that door? Who would they be? Well, first of all, Amos really brings to the front this theme of God is a designer. He's a creator. God is a maker. That's, that's kind of how he describes them. There's four verbs here that I want to point out. Uh, that are sort of repeated themes. He says he forms the mountains, creates the winds, makes the dawn out of the darkness and strides on the heights of the earth. Now forming the mountains is very basic. This is the way that we often think of God, that God is the creator God who makes the mountains, who, who, uh, who establishes what I call the rough hewn parts of the world, right? The jagged coastline or the, the peaks of the mountains or the deep valleys that are in the canyons, that sort of stuff. This is the God who through his sheer force can establish things that are, that are intimidating and amazing and big and, and rough and the sort of thing that we stand on. God creates or he forms those mountains. Now in the Bible, the word forms is used often and repeatedly to not only describe something that is made, but it is something that is designed with a purpose. This is the same word that's used when God forms humanity. It's the same word that uh, the psalmist and the prophet will say that you formed me in my mother's womb, all right? So it's not just that the mountains are a big pile of rocks, but they are established through systems and through God's power to be and to look and to intimidate and to, to uh, just have that presence that God wants them to have, right? All of creation is that way the glaciers and the oceans and, and the canyons and the trees that you can drive cars through, that sort of thing is all by God's strong, creative design. That's one of the aspects of who he is. It says he forms the mountains and creates the wind. Now, the word there for wind is nuanced in the Hebrew. You want to learn a Hebrew word real quick? It's ruah. All right, I'm not going to make you say it, but the H is like, they call it a guttural ruah. All right, that's how you're supposed to say it, right? Ruah, R-U-A-H. Ruah is all throughout the Old Testament and it has this uh, very nuanced meaning. The most basic meaning of it is wind, right? And so when, when it says that God creates the wind, there is this imagery that is stirred up within us that is, that is at times fearful and at other times enjoyable and beautiful, right? Like, have you ever been out in uh, uh, the summer heat and you step into uh, the shade of a tree and this breeze blows across you and it feels so good, so inviting, so nice, right? But at the same time, it's that strong wind of a thunderstorm that can tear down houses and take lives. God creates the forces of nature 
the order of nature. God creates not only the, the rough, strong, solid things that we stand upon, but also the things that cause those things to break down, the waters and, and the storms, all that sort of stuff. God creates the storm. God creates the wind. God creates the breeze. God creates the rivers. Not only is wind, ruah, mean wind, but it also, ruah, means soul. All right, so when you go to the creation story, it says that God formed man and breathed in his nostrils, ruah, breathed within him life, gave him a being and a soul. So God creates the strong, the earth that we stand upon. God creates the forces that affect it and God creates us. This is the guy on the other side of that door. God creates these things and then he makes the dawn out of the darkness. Really a fascinating phrase because in chapter five, verse eight, it is the exact same verse, it's just flipped. He makes the darkness out of the dawn, all right? Out of the dark comes the light. And out of the light, God creates the dark. It's in these two things that we see that God is in control of the morning and the evening, that he's in control of time and seasons and the natural order, right? I, I mean, you think about it, and it is not unchristian for us to envision that God established sort of, um, let's say, a, a patch of ground, you know, with stone and dirt and trees. And, and, then, he, and then he caused the river to run through it. And that river eats away at it and creates um, beauty in and of itself. That the river that is cutting through that stone, God has established all of that. God made it do that in a way that is not only functional, but it is artistic. That the way that the river cuts through the rock is artistic and powerful and God stands above all of that through the seasons, through life, through the day and through the night that everything you can experience God has created, he has done. It says also and finally that he strides on the heights of the earth or that he walks on the high places. Not only has God established what is hard, God has established what is soft, God has established the time and how they all interact and then God stands upon that creation as the rightful king. Uh, think about it this way. When you were a kid, did y'all ever play the game uh, King of the Mountain? Did y'all ever play that? Somebody gets up on top and you try to knock them down and you push, you hit with pillows or something like that. My kids and I play a game where I will lay on my bed, right? And then they try to push me off. It's them three versus me, right? And I'm not allowed to use my hands and legs, right? I'm just, I just have to use body weight. And they will, they'll get on there and like grab my ears and like kind of pull me off the bed like this. And one's pulling the legs that way and one's pulling this way and I just have to lay there, right? They're so victorious. They feel so strong when the three of them finally pushed me off the side of the bed, which is about the time that I am done playing this game. And so all of a sudden I fell off the bed, you know, that sort of thing. King of the mountain, I'm the biggest, I'm the strongest. That is literally what Amos describes God as, that he strides upon the mountaintops. Everything that you can experience, everything in your life, God made that. Everything amazing and dreadful and wonderful and intimidating. God has made all of that. He is creative and interesting. Mountains and storms, birth and seasons, humanity and all of its complexity. God is the originator of all of these things. Last Sunday night, my in-laws were in town and, and whenever my in-laws are in town, they're generous and kind enough to uh, give uh, Jackie and I a date night. They let, us, they let us go on a date, right? And so they will pump my kids full of sugar and take them to a movie that I wanted to watch too, but never mind. They go and do that and, and they let us go uh, on a date. 
And uh, this last Sunday, we've been married for a little while, so I don't really clean the truck or anything anymore. I'm pretty much like, get in, we're going to Moralton. And so uh, she got in, and Moralton can be romantic, y'all. I know, I know it doesn't seem like that. It can't, you can make anywhere romantic. Um, so we went, we went to this Mexican restaurant, it was okay. And then we went up to Pettigene. Uh, it was, it was fine. Um, then we went up to Pettigene and we watched the, uh, we watched the sunset. We had an old person date. Uh, we went up there and I took, this is why it's, watching sunset's awesome, but here's why it's old person date. I took canvas chairs, all right, that rock, all right. They rock back and forth. And uh, there's nobody else out there. And so we just go marching out to the edge of this mountain and just plop down our chairs and sit there like we own all of this, you know. And we sat there for, I don't know, like an hour. That was our date. And we sat there and hung out and we were watching. And um, it was so beautiful. And especially that little uh, valley thing, the, the clearing there. I just kind of watched that. We were trying to watch it, you know, and see if maybe there would be some deer that would walk across that. And at one point, the mist came up. I don't really know what you call it. Vapor mist. We, you know, it looks like when the mountains smoke. Y'all, y'all seen that? You know, super normal here in Arkansas, but it's not normal in Texas. All right. And so we're still amazed by it. And at this one point, um, that little, you can see the white, that's a, that's a road. But right by that, this just mist came up and it got bigger and bigger. And then it just kind of moved across that. And it was so captivating. Every bit of it was captivating. The way the light was and the distant rivers that you could see and, and Mount Magazine and Nebo and all of that, you could see that there is no way, no way not to be impressed by that, not to be amazed by that. God made that. He made that. So the other person standing on the door is creative. He's a designer. Not only that, but he also, according to Amos, He's a talker, all right? Now, when we say uh, he's a talker, she's a talker, you know, we don't normally mean that in a good way, but, but for God, it, it's a very good thing. It says that he reveals his thoughts to man. God communica- communicates. The God who creates is also the one who reveals or communicates. If you remember back to the creation story, God created all things by speaking, which is powerful, but also not only does he speak creation into existence, but then he speaks to his creation. He communicates to the earth and all those who inhabit it. God's speaking is not insignificant. It is one of those concepts that we take for granted. We, we grow up thinking about things like this is God's word or God has said, and it's just so normal to us, but it is not normal. God does not have to talk. He does not have to speak. And yet he does. He does in this way of letting us know who he is. Nothing forces him to speak. He could have designed the whole world and then stepped back silently to watch what happens. And, and there are people, maybe even some people in here today, or those of you who are watching online, who, who maybe feel discouraged because you think that that's the way that God is. That's the way that you feel it is, but that is not the way that it is. God speaks. He has something to say. And it's important for us to kind of listen to what it is that he wants to say. The first thing that God says through his word is that he cares and that he has compassion. That God deeply loves humanity and that he's willing to show it. Exodus 34, six or seven says, the Lord passed in front of him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord is a compassionate and a gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love and truth, maintaining faithful love to a thousand generations, forgiving iniquity, rebellion, and sin. Look, it is a good thing to know that somebody else loves you. It's a great thing when they tell you. 
when they tell you and they show it, right? God communicates. God speaks to his creation and he says, I love you. But it's not only that God speaks his care and his compassion, but he also speaks his systems and his standards. Now, hear me on this. I get it. When you first hear that, that God is going to speak his standards upon humanity, that feels like a giant weight. It feels like a a burden that we cannot carry, overbearing and burdensome. That it's just this huge thing that God's going to say, this is how I want you to live, that thou shalt not and thou shalt do these things, right? At first we want to push back and that's not a good thing. That's the other stuff. We like when God says, I love you. We don't like when God says don't and do, right? But if you think about it, think about it longer, it's actually so meaningful, so good. In fact, this is, this is one of the things that we ought to really welcome from God, that he should tell us how we should live. That's good. Uh, here's an illustration. Think about it this way. We joke sometimes about like Ikea furniture, right? Uh, like it's like, it's weird. You can't understand the instructions, that sort of stuff. It's cheap, those sort of things. Or, or Walmart furniture, you know, you get in a box and things like that. And it's all good. It has a place. But if, if I was to get like a little nightstand or something from Walmart and I was to bring it up here and I was just to dump it on the stage here and put the pieces out there, but not give you the instructions, I feel pretty confident. You may feel differently. I feel pretty confident that most everyone in here could figure it out. All right. It's not that hard. All right. There's, there's just a couple pieces that only fit in a certain way. All right. And so we could kind of figure that out. We don't need instructions to put together that nightstand. However, think about a set of Legos, right? It's a little bit more complex. I looked up the best selling Lego sets. I looked at the best selling and the number one uh, Lego set that, w- that appeared on the website was one about, it's a roller coaster and it has 3,756 pieces, all right? I don't believe that I could come up here with all those little bags, you know, and break them apart and pour them out here. And all of us working together in perfect harmony and Christian love could figure that thing out, right? No, we're not figuring it out. It's not, at some point it's good enough and we walk away, right? And that's just the construction of the item, right? That's just the assembly. Go one step deeper. What if it was something dangerous? What if it was something that literally was life and death? Would anybody here turn a, turn a preteen loose and say, hey, assemble that chainsaw and then put it and then use it. Would anybody do that? Would you let, a, a, would you like, like a kid comes home from school and says, look, mom, I made a chainsaw. You want to see me work it? You know, you would freak out as you should, right? Because it's dangerous. Listen, This thing we're doing called life is literally life and death. And it's hard and it's complex. And people die, you know, when stuff goes wrong on this situation. And we feel like we're dying when things go wrong in the way that we're living, in the way that we treat each other. We can't even really understand how we're thinking and how we're feeling. And then then we have to interact with hundreds and hundreds of other people that are trying to do that as well. And then we drive down the, the interstate going 60 miles an hour with a foot of space between us. You know, we do this. This thing is hard. So it is good when you think about it. It's gracious. It's kind that the maker of life would then turn around and say, this is how you do this. Don't do these things. This will get you in a bunch of trouble, but do these things. And this will, this will all work out, right? So it is good for God to give us these standards, to give us how we should live, how we should thrive. If you think back again to the creation story, and we're gonna keep going back to that quite a few times today. If you think back to the creation story, God creates humanity and gives them breath, a ruah, and life. And then he plants them in the garden. 
that is not only, have you ever thought about this, the Garden of Eden? It's not only functional. It's not like, here's an apple, here's a peach, whatever like that, but it's beautiful. God, it specifically says that it was a beautiful garden. There's no reason to make something aesthetically pleasing other than to be aesthetically pleasing. God is creative and beautiful. And he puts man in that garden, in the middle of the garden. Then he told him how this works. He says, look, you can eat any of this, but don't eat that one. That's how this works. Eat any of this, but don't eat that one. Also, you know what? I want you to take care of all of this. And I'm gonna show you how to do it. I want you to take care of these animals. I'm gonna show you how to do it. He taught him. He said, this is the way this works. This is the way you work. This is the way all of this works out. And he looked at him and go, you know what? You need a girl. I'm gonna make you a wife. Give us a wife. This is how God communicates. He creates and it's beautiful and it's pleasing and it's aesthetically enjoyable. And then he gives him work, which is good. And it's worship. And then he gives him companionship and a wife, which is beautiful and enjoyable. God communicates what is right and good and for human flourishing, the best way to live. So rising from this warning passage, which is what this is, and I'll explain that in just a minute. Amos is not a nice story, okay? This is not a nice passage, but rising from this uncomfortable passage, we, we get this introduction to who God is, who he truly is as this amazing creator of all things that we can experience. And he has chosen to speak to that creation, not from distance removed, but speaking and guiding and instructing on how to live the best way to live. But there's one other aspect I would like to point out from the text, right? From this verse, I want to point out one other thing. Not only is he a designer talker, but he's also present. He is here. He is here. There's another aspect of the guy waiting on the other side of the door. The presence of God is just as compelling as his communication. If you follow what I have said here, God, Yahweh, designed everything we can experience. And then he stood on that entire reality as king of the mountain. Then Yahweh speaks from his mountain. But at this point, the king of the mountain doesn't stay on the mountain. He steps down into that reality and he is present with his people, not silent or distant, right there in the thick of it. Back again to the creation story. Creates beauty, design, speaks. And then the creation story gives every indication that then God walks with them right next to them, right with them. He walks through that creation with them. In Exodus chapter 25, God tells his people, I want you to build a big old tent. I don't think God says big old, but I, I hope he does. He says, I want you to build a big old tent. And I'm gonna tell you how to do it, right? And we're gonna call it a sanctuary, a tabernacle. And here's the reason he says to Moses, he says, here's the reason I want you to build that tent so that I may dwell among you so that I may live with you. This is such a countercultural, earth-shattering sort of reality. The people back then, people of the cultures back then, they thought that their gods existed on these high mountains and they rarely ever interacted with humanity. And if they ever did come down to interact with humanity, it was for messing with them or causing trouble or mischief. But here we have a God who creates all things and then wants to spend his time. He wants to be with those people to walk through the hardships and the deserts and the, and the enemies and guide them through the day and through the night. That God wants to be with his people. From creation to the Exodus, this is over and over the story of God. Creator, communicator, walker. Helen Keller wrote about the presence of God. She says this, 
deep, solemn optimism, it seems to me, should spring from this firm belief in the presence of God in the individual. Not a remote, unapproachable governor of the universe, but a God who is very near every one of us, who is present not only in the earth, sea, and sky, but also in every pure and noble impulse of our hearts. C.S. Lewis ironically wrote a little less poetically when he said, We may ignore, but we can nowhere evade the presence of our God. The world is crowded with him. Listen to this part. This is a cool little quote. He walks everywhere incognito. God is with us. It is a lie from Satan and the result of our fallen perspective that sees God as cold or far away. The reality is that he is very close and caring and that his actions are in the best interest of us and for his glory. We can trust him. You can lean into him. You can trust fall God's direction. All of this, all of this story about this designer who speaks, communicates the love and the standards of God and walks with his people is most beautifully and clearly seen in the person of Jesus. Jesus had a really good friend, really, really close friend named John. And after Jesus left, after he ascended into heaven, his friend John wrote about Jesus. And this is the way that he opens his book that's going to be all about Jesus. This is the way he describes him. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and he was with God in the beginning. All things were created through him, and apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. That light shined in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of natural descent or of the will of the flesh or the will of man, but of God. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we observed his glory. The glory has the one and only son from the father, full of grace and truth. So this is God. This is Jesus. Jesus is God. So if you were to prepare to meet your God and you were to open that door, what you would find standing on the other side of that door is Jesus, the creator of all things, the communicator of God's love and his standards and the one who walks with us. So it brings us to this question. It brings us all the way back to the previous verse, the one that I began with by asking this. Well, then how do you prepare to meet Jesus? Well, in chapter four, five times, it's this really heartbreaking, repetitious phrase. You can see it if you scan your eyes up through chapter four. It almost hurts to read it because you can hear the compassion. You can hear the, you can hear the emotion of God. He says, I did this and you did not come back. I did this to try to get your attention and you would not return to me. I did all of these things and you would not come back. You went far away and everything that I did, you would not return to me. And so prepare to meet your God. He is strong, he will speak, and he is here. Like I said earlier that the the communication of what Amos is trying to deliver here is not uplifting. It's actually fear-inducing. 
They would not return. So the answer for us is before we get to that point in which it is too late that we would return to God, that we would come back to God, that we would trust him. Humanity was created to be this kind of close to God, but we left him, we rebelled and we tried to go our own way. So he has invited us back to come home, to return to him, to see we somehow come to the conclusion that we can pile up enough rocks and call it a mountain and then we can stand on it and make all the rules. But we cannot. You should come off of that little dirt hill. You got there and submit to the one true king. My favorite band is uh, Need to Breathe. And they wrote some lyrics that I'm pretty sure capture this idea. It could mean some other things, you know, like all art. It says this, isn't it amazing how a man can find himself alone? Call out into the darkness for an answer that he's never known. Isn't it amazing how God can take a broken man? Let him find a fortune, let him ruin it with his own two hands. And he climbs up on a hill on the rock on which he stands. He looks back at the crowd and he looks down at his hands and he says, I am a difference maker. That's the way that we live our lives. Like we pile some rocks and we stand on top and we say, I'm in charge. But the king of the mountain has invited you to come back. To lay the little crown on your head at the crown of the true king. So that's the invitation that you all have this morning. As Jesus followers, those of us who have returned to Jesus, have come back to Jesus, have walked through that door and met our God, it is a constant reminder that every day in a million ways we need to return to Jesus. We are tempted to pull away and to talk or to walk away all the time like wandering toddlers in a shopping mall. The noise and the lights can draw us towards something else. But the same challenge is issued to you. Return to Jesus. Come back to Jesus. I bought a car once. And uh, it wasn't an impulse buy, but because um, I had been shopping uh, for this and been in the market. Um, but Jackie wasn't with me, so we can blame the rest of this story on that reality. All right. Not on her, but just on the fact that she wasn't there. And so I went to this dealership and I did all the things that you do. You know, I, I, I talked to him and then I met the manager. You know, he really wanted to meet me and um, had to meet the manager. And then we... Uh, we test drove it and they, and they uh, evaluated my vehicle that I had for trade-in, all that kind of stuff and took it back there and came back and gave me nothing. And, um, and so anyways, I did all the stuff. I, I did all the paperwork. I sat there and while they cleaned it up, they got it all cleaned. And I got in that car and I drove away. It was right at closing time. I drove away and I, I got a few miles down the road. It was about 40, 30 to 40 minutes from my house. I got a few miles down the road and I thought to myself, you know what? I don't want this car. And I didn't know what to do at that point, right? I'd gone through all of that and I, how do you take it back? You know, like you do walk in there with like a receipt and be like, hey, are we still in the window? You know, it didn't fit. Um, so how, how, what do I do about this, right? And I just really did not know what you do at that point. And I don't, I mean, I don't know. Do you know what to do at that point? So I called my friend who is the bank president. She was doing the financing. And I said, hey, I don't want this car. She said, why did you buy it? And I said, I don't know what do I do? And she says, well, just take it back. Take it back in the morning. I'll take care of everything. And I said, how are you going to do that? She said, I'm just not going to give them any money. And they'll give you that car. They'll give you your truck back. And so I was like, all right. So super awkward, right? Can you imagine you get home to your wife and you're like, hey, I did a thing. Um, so anyways, opening uh, of the dealership the next morning, got up early, went all the way back up there. And, and, um, I got up and I'm walking towards the, the sales office, right? You can see them all in there, 
right? And they're all looking at me, right? They're like expecting me. And I felt super intimidated, all this stuff. And, and I walk in the door and I'm like, hey, did my mom call? Because uh, I don't want to do this no more. You know, that sort of thing is how I felt. I didn't say that. I, I acted like a grown man, but inside I'm never really feeling like a grown man. And so I, I, I walked in there and, um, and they swapped it out, you know, and one of the guys is like, you know, this never happens, never. And I was like, yeah, that, I hear that a lot about a lot of stuff I do, you know. Um, so you got my car somewhere? I'd like to leave yesterday. Uh, and so anyways, I get it and I go home. I returned a car. I, I, I bought it and then I returned it the very next morning. I did that one time. And in our world where we're like in Amazon, you know, mode where you just like kind of push a button and take it to UPS, you don't even have to wrap it and they just scan it and, and it returns. That stands out in my mind as the one time I literally returned something, all right? Took it all the way home, took it back to my life, led my own life overnight, and then I brought it back, right? Returned. It's there. That's what a lot of us have done with this thing we call life, with this thing we call our uh, potential and career and relationships. We take all of that and we just drive it on our own direction. And what the Bible calling is for you to return back to go back. But the big difference, and hear me on this, this is important. The big difference is, it's not like the way that I felt with all of those salesmen in the, the window, the, the glass office there. I didn't feel, it's not like it's intimidating or judgment or anything like that. The fact that God has said repeatedly, return to me. There's no judgment. There's no guilt. There's no meet this standard and we'll see what we can do. All of that's been taken care of. He says, return to me because you were invited. He says, return to me because he wants you to come back. He is begging you to come back. Come back to Jesus. Stop going off that way. Come back to Jesus. Just return, return. I pray that you will. Thank you for listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist. We hope that we will see you in person this next Sunday. To find more information about service times, location, and ministry offerings, visit mysecond.family. Thank you for listening.